Well, thanks, Brent. So if you do want to hear about the Ugabuga story, how many have ever heard of Ugabuga? It's Ugabuga tribe. So you're an official. Okay, right. Any other officials with the Ugabuga tribe? You have to be careful because it's really only a few that have been initiated. So if you want to know after, I'd love to share it with you. Um, again, my name is Eric Brown. Uh, I am a missionary with Word of Life. I've been on staff for about 14, 15 years. My lovely wife is here in the front, Lori. Uh, we are members here. Um, just really have enjoyed getting to know the body of believers and humbled, uh, extremely humbled for the opportunity uh, to share God's Word this morning. Um, the story is told of uh, elderly elderly gentleman traveling on the highways in Maine, and he gets a phone call from his elderly wife saying, listen, Herman, you need to be careful. There's someone driving the wrong way on 95, to which Herman responds, it's not just one of them, it's a hundred, hundreds of them. It, right, so it was he that it was driving the wrong way. It's all about perspective. So my prayer this morning as we open God's Word is that we would that we would set aside our preconceived notions about what God is going to, will do, um, or maybe anything that's happened this morning. My prayer is that we just ask God to show us once again from his perspective and that our hearts would be open to the life, life change that's possible from a living word. Father, thank you so much for the time to be here. By your grace and mercy, you put me in front of your people. I've got to thank you for that. I just thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that uh, every time we open it, it can, it can pierce, it can divide, it can, it can get to the heart of the matter. Uh, God, forgive us for those times when we try to get in the way. God, I ask today specifically that I stay out of the way. I ask that you be with every aspect of this service. God, with the technical parts of it, with any uh, ministries that are happening right now, uh, God, the ones that are happening in secret, God, it says that you'll, your word says you'll reward them openly. We thank you for the ministries here at Faith. God, we love you. And again, do we just ask that you be honored and glorified with everything that I say this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you'd be kind enough to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11, and we're gonna, we're gonna read verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6, and I think it may pop up on the screen. I'm not sure. Forgive me. I'm not used to it. Yeah, there it is. Uh, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I was thinking of the idea of pleasing God. Uh, what does it actually mean to please God? We talk about how, you know, we may want to or desire to please our spouse if you're married or please our children. How about our pets? It is amazing. Can we show that video? Yes, this is my cat. Her name is Sammy. Yes, you'll see it one more time. Yep, she's just just happy. One more time, we'll see the loop, just so you can fully appreciate. I mean, is that a happy cat? Is that a comfortable cat? Just look at that. So that's Sammy. I, I am a cat person. You're like, what in the world are you showing, a, you know, a, a video of your cat? You know, we like to make our pets happy. 
I mean, if you have heard about the billion-dollar pet industry, the um, the clothing that people will get for the little micro dogs, and and the the great pains that they will go to make their cats smile. Cats do smile; it's proven. Um, the great lengths that they'll go to make their dog happy. Believe it or not, people like to make their pets happy. But you know, I was thinking about what if. We as followers of Christ, what if we had the same level of desire to please Almighty God? The more we care for or love our pets, if we were, you want them to be comfortable, happy, content. We have a desire to please our pets, but think about this. How often do you and I actually have a desire to please God? I looked up the uh, the please definition, and it's not the idea of please pass the salt or something like that. But the idea, if you're talking about pleasing oneself, is to take only one's own wishes into consideration in deciding how to act or proceed. In other words, to take only one's own wishes into consideration in deciding how to act or proceed. In other words, running it by yourself. Thinking about it before you act or proceed. So I want to uh, pose a rhetorical question this morning. Do you think that it is possible to truly love someone without having at least the desire to please them? Do you think it's possible to truly love someone without having at least the desire to please them. Now, when it when we talk about pleasing Almighty God, I, I have to make a disclaimer because very quickly we can go down the road of legalism, of of so many different things. This is not about pleasing to make God love us more as hopefully as Children of God, if you are, you understand that there's nothing that we can do to make him love us more. And there's nothing that we can do to make him love us less. The world is full of religious systems and cults that have pleasing their own deity, if you will. The idea must be done at the expense, any expense, through penance to quote-unquote make up for past wrongs. I think of Elijah if you're familiar with that story in the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Baal, this idol, were so desperate to hear from their God that they figured his silence must be due to the fact of, the, of their failings in life. And by frantically beating themselves, they could flip the switch from nothing to something. I'm not talking about that type of pleasing. I'm talking about a byproduct. I'm talking about that time when your love for God, something has happened within you, where you can't help but have that desire. And again, if you happen to be married here today or have children, you start to understand that, yes, I have the desire. It doesn't mean we nail it all the time. I think of the videos that have gone online with these little boys that are walking into their mom's room with bowls of fruit to make breakfast in bed. They want to please her. And then halfway in, they trip and the fruit goes all over the carpet. The desire is there, but maybe sometimes our actions don't actually make it land. Does that ever happen to any of you men? I mean, the best of intentions, but you know, at the end of the day, she just said, you know, just don't. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thumbs up. Which way are my thumbs going? I really appreciate it. But we have, it's, it's do we have the desire, excuse me, the desire 
pleasing our God is not just beneficial for him, but also the best for us. So I think of how do we please, how can we please God? I mean, we just read that verse. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in just a second. But I think of Father's Day. I think of those times when my kids will say to my wife, their mother, what do we get dad for Father's Day? What We have no idea because he has everything, right? Even though I don't have everything, that's the, or a birthday. What do we get dad? I, I, he's got everything. What do we get him? How do we begin to come up with a way of pleasing the creator of the universe? In other words, what do you get a God who has everything? How do you even begin? I mean, have you ever thought about that? You and I, Pleasing the creator of the universe. What what does that even look like? Thankfully, God's word tells us not only what God hates, the things that are an abomination that are mentioned in Proverbs, but also how to please him, what he delights in. In other words, what brings a smile to God's face? The thing is, this is a win-win for you and I as his children. It's the idea that as we please him, it is the best thing for us. This is not just a, it's good for him, but not for us. It'll make us the most happiest and satisfied. We will be most fulfilled when we fulfill God's purpose for our lives. Because he loves us and does want the best for us forever. So I've got some practical ways that we can please God. If you're taking notes, the first thing I have written down is that having faith please God, pleases God. It says in Hebrews 11, 6, But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. By the way, if you happen to be here today or online, and you do not have a relationship with Almighty God through His Son, can I tell you that even God has a plan even for you? The Bible says, whosoever will may come. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God has a plan for you. If you do not know him, his the first thing that would please him was, would be to believe in him, to have faith. Of course, at that point, you're no longer... No longer separated from God. But let's look at the verse. And notice it says without faith. It doesn't say without love, without deeds, without belief. But the idea is a true faith that wraps up those very three things. It talks about faith, belief in God, and believing that he will do what he says he will do. Also, a little bit before, if you've ever heard the story of Enoch, it says that Enoch walked with God, and he pleased God. He was... He was around the wickedness of uh, the world and was increasingly evil, but he didn't go the evil way that other people were going. He didn't let the world saturate him. Instead, it says that he walked with God and it says he pleased God. When we believe in God, my friends, and believe what he says, that faith will also please God. Another thing, number two, being spiritually minded pleases God. Romans 8, 6 through 8 says... For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
And then it says this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We talk about thoughts and whether we set our mind on the flesh or set our mind on the spirit. Look what 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Have your thoughts ever taken you captive? The idea of those thoughts that come in, and I, I forget who it was, uh, Robbie Zacharias was was talking about a great, uh, great preacher that he had the privilege to share the platform with, and, and he shares how this preacher had said, some of the most wicked thoughts come into my mind at my mountaintop experience with Christ as I'm about ready to go on stage and share the word. Nothing triggered it, they just come. Have you ever had a, a, that immoral thought jump into your mind? Maybe something from the past. How angry thoughts, bitter thoughts. Has that ever happened to you where out of nowhere this thought comes and you're like, I have no idea where that thought came from? My friends, you know, whether as, as children or teens or struggling with pornography, when those images get seared, you can almost hear that and then years later, when you least expect it, they can pop in. Those thoughts come not because God wants to test you. It's because the enemy knows that you, at that point in time, you've got everything firing on all the right cylinders. You're abiding. And then all of a sudden, you'll and you'll be like, what just happened? Or in the middle of the night, when you have one of those dreams and you're trying to figure out where did that come from? And our thoughts can take us captive instead of the other way around. Let me ask you this. When you wake up in the morning, when you and I wake up in the morning, what is the very first thought that comes into your mind? Is it breakfast? Is it things to do? Is it going back to bed? Some of, chances are your routine has already been formed over the years. I know my ha- mine has. You know, it's that, that pattern, that habit that we get. Right now, if you could think about what do you do in the morning when it, before you put your feet on the floor, what thoughts are coming in? What are you being deliberate about? What are you not being deliberate about? If your routine has been formed over the years and it's locked in, take heart. God can transform your thought process. Your day starts with a thought. What is it? Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What if before your feet hit the floor, before your feet and mine hit the floor, we had the thought, God, God loves me so much. I love Him. What, what are some things that I can do to please Almighty God? Did you ever get giddy over planning something for your spouse because you wanted to make them happy? Maybe a surprise. You found yourself thinking about it obsessively, obsessively. And you, your, your thought process and you start to giggle as you're picturing what she or how he will respond. Can you imagine getting to that point with Almighty God? Just loving Him so much. That you find yourself pondering him throughout the day. That before your feet even hit the floor. 
you wonder, is that God help me to please you today? Help me to put you first in everything that I do. I wrote down deliberate thought precedes deliberate action. It starts with a thought. Let's go on. The third thing that pleases God. The fear of the Lord pleases God. Psalm 147 verse 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. Perhaps one of the most misunderstood words as it relates to our relationship with our loving Heavenly Father is fear. Maybe it's because we see the bumper stickers that say, no fear, fear this, and we have all that stuff. But this fear is not the idea of cowering in the corner and soiling oneself because you are so afraid and terrified. But yet on the other hand, I've, I remember I posted, you know, a few years ago, I posted about the fear of the Lord, how it's all throughout God's word. And then we had some people that would just comment and saying, that's not the type of God I want. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be nervous around God. Can I share with you that that is not that God delights having us terrified of Him. Psalm 147, it talks about God as the one who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's in verse 3. The passage praises His mercy and His knowledge. It says He even knows the name of all the stars. His power to save the humble. I, I think of it like this. There's so many different ways, but I love lightning. Anyone else love just to watch lightning, the power of it? I, I love it. I, I, I think it is magnificent. I, I want to get as close as I can to seeing lightning, to experience, experiencing it. But I know there's nothing to mess around with. I love lightning. It's amazing, but I, I don't want to mess with it. The Bible tells us to fear God, again, not because it's good for Him, but because it's good for us to accurately recognize that He's more powerful than anything else. It shows our deep respect for Him. Perhaps you've, you've either read or watched on TV the Chronicles of Narnia. I've got to pull up this, this quote from, um, Susan inquiring from Mr. Beaver about Aslan, who is Almighty God. It says, Aslan is a lion, the lion. The great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I love how C.S. Lewis captured that. The idea of a powerful, powerful God. Is he safe? No, but is he? He's good. The closer we come to God, our perspective on His greatness changes. Maybe you've heard this. The Eiffel Tower has been 1,063 feet to tip ever since it was built. Hasn't changed, but you've probably seen those pictures of, of people holding it in their hand. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a trick on camera and they basically looks like they're holding this 1,063 foot monument in their hand. Of course, we know that's not really possible. But something happens as you get closer to the, the, to the Eiffel Tower, you realize just how massive it is. The only thing that's changed, it's not the tower that's all of a sudden become bigger, it's your perspective that has changed. 
And if I can just give one more quote regarding the Chronicles of Narnia, Lucy is seeing Aslan after again, uh, again after a while. We talk about perspective. So she says, Aslan, Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. And he says, that is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, said Lucy. And he said, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. What what a perfect picture of the idea that as you and I grow closer to God, we are overwhelmed by who he is. And and that's why you hear things that say, the more I love God, the more my sin bothers me. And the more my sin bothers me, the more I realize I need almighty God. And, I, and as you get closer, you, you're overwhelmed by who he is. And, and that's, that's what it means as, as you, as you fall in love with Almighty God, your desire to please is there. But it's not a please to get, it's a please because in your own, own way, you know just how incredible He is. And you find yourself desiring to please Him. Fearing God allows us to rely on Him and revere Him, which can deepen our love for the all-powerful God who cares enough to stoop down and deliver us puny little humans. The fourth thing that pleases God, studying and following Jesus Christ's example, pleases God. Matthew 17, the latter part of verse 5 says, He was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Listen to him. It's interesting to me that even Jesus said that he always did the things that pleased his father. I just feel like if there was any, anybody that could have gotten a exemption or a hall pass on that, it would have been Jesus. But yet even he always referred to almighty God desire to please him. He cared about pleasing his own father. Where do we, you and I, get off on on not caring about our father? Where do we, who do we think we are that we don't take into consideration the idea of showing him our love? Also, another thing that pleases God is obeying him. 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Again, God is not commanding us to obey just because it's good for Him, but because it's good for us. We can't lose, my friends. Even in Deuteronomy 10 verse 13, Moses reminds the children of Israel that keeping God's commandments is for their good. Listen, he says, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. This is, this is good for you. You see, can you imagine if it was the other way around that it cost us something? That it was the idea that we lose a little bit of ourselves and our joy? I was talking to someone the other day and we were talking about the things in our lives that, that only God can, and he wants them all, but we hang on to them. Um, things that keep us from focusing on who he is. Sometimes they're, they're deep sins. Sometimes they're, they're things that, um, we tend to put priority in. And this person said, well, what if I, what if I 
give him a little and let him take something and then I'm just going to be overwhelmed with the conviction and everything that I care about is going to be gone. I mean, I, I actually like this part of the world. I want to hang on to it. Everything's going to be gone. And I'm like, my friend, do you realize, do you think that God is going to take something from you that you give him and not replace it with something that's even more miraculous? Do you think that God is just in the idea of taking and leaving you wanting? That is not my heavenly father. It's not just about his good. It's the fact that he has made it so that it's also in our best interest. True joy. He also says that he has pleasure in uprightness. First Chronicles 29 verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. Also, doing God's will pleases God. Hebrews 13 verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So many people talk about God's will for their life. What is it? And I learned this at a young age as I was praying for a specific will and I, I was challenged. Listen, Eric, don't, don't expect to discover his specific will for your life when you're not doing what you know for sure it is. I.e., what is the known will of God? It's the biblical principles, my friends, that are not open for negotiation. They're not picky and choosy. I'm not talking about what you do for a career. It's the idea of what, God, what do you have for me? I, I'm, I'm available to do anything. Just let me know. If you just clue me in, I, I'm just waiting here. But yet, how many times do we do that and we don't read His Word, which is how He talks to us? And I, it's the idea, if we're not at least doing that, don't expect to further discover the deeper plans that he has for you because you're not even willing to do the, the black and white, the bare necessities. I wrote down some of the biblical principles that aren't open for negotiation. The idea of spending time in the word, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, doing good works, the Bible says, so others will glorify our Father who is in heaven. Hiding God's word in our hearts. The new commandment that God says, loving others as Christ has loved us. His expressed will. Guess what? There's no, no guessing on those. We know them. That's me. That's black and white. Or red and white. These are some of the expressed wills, uh, mentioned in the word. Built into these very specific principles are the keys that you and I have for gaining a deeper understanding of his will. I also wrote, as it relates to as well, if, will, if you're not praying, you're just playing. When's the last time you actually just, just spent a long time talking to him, pausing, listening, begging, pleading, worshiping? God's will for us goes beyond just knowing what he wants. It involves doing every good work, working at it, maturing spiritually and becoming more like him. Matthew 5.48 perhaps is a difficult verse when it talks about becoming more like him. Matthew 5.48 says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
I got to say, when I hear the word perfect in that verse, I tend to think fat chance. You must therefore be perfect. Fat chance. God, you saw my resume. It ain't happening. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, Mere Christianity. The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas. Nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. He said in the Bible that we were gods and he is going to make good his words if we let him. For we can prevent him if we choose. He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess. A dazzling, radiant, immortal creature. Pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale. His own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful. But that is what we are in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. Incidentally, if you want to read about how God thinks of his children as being the little G gods, it's in John 10, verse 34. It's fascinating. Here, so we have Jesus setting the ultimate example of doing God's will. There's one one thing that I, I can't help but be overwhelmed by when you think of the terrible scourging and crucifixion that Christ And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Giving himself totally to show his love and to do his father's will. Also, giving the sacrifices that he wants pleases God. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of, of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Matthew 22, verse 37 also says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And his second is like it. You shall love the neighbor as your, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We talk about pleasing God. But so many times we find ourselves only pleasing to the bare minimum of the people around us. In other words, we we love to seek the approval or please other people, those that we can see versus the non-tangible, if you will, the, the God in the flesh in front of us. Jesus pointed out the problem with seeking to please man while pretending to try to please God. In the Sermon of the Mount, he said, Take heed that you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. He made similar comments about praying and fasting just to get favor from men. Boy, we we love to make people happy, especially our bosses, perhaps. But it's more important to please God. So I got to thinking, what is our benefit you know, it talks about how it's good for us to please God. But if pleasing, if pleasing someone is a, a way to show your love and your care for them, your true love, then if God is love, there must have been something magnificent. There must have been something spectacular. And I was thinking, if it is, 
impossible to truly love someone without desiring to please them. What what did God do? We we know the story, you know, his own son, but then I thought of this verse, Isaiah 53:10 and I'm hoping we put it up there. Isaiah 53:10. My friends, look at this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Pleased? And this isn't the idea of Almighty God kicking his heels and saying, woo-hoo, let's get it done, son. It says that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased Almighty God to have his son die on the cross. My friends, if Almighty God did nothing else, that's, that's enough. There's no greater way of showing love. He sent his only son. And it says it pleased him. And it's the same idea. It's the same same definition. It means he took us into consideration before acting or proceeding. That blows my mind. I hope that as we that it, it as I was studying pleasing God, and then I'm thinking, get it pleased. And I'm like eh, your love for us is so great. He was pleased to send his son to the cross. No greater act of love. Proverbs 16 verse 7 says also, When a man's ways please the Lord, it says he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. My friends, as I wrap up, we are, we're living in a world of chaos. In a time when so many plans, and Danny was saying this morning, I think you must have gotten my notes. I mean, it was almost word for word, but it's the idea that in a time when so many plans have been put upside down, put on hold, held off, rushed ahead, adjusted to the left or to the right, God's plan for you and I as his child have not had to have been adjusted one bit. He's not had to have a COVID brainstorming meeting with the other members of the Trinity. He's not full of angst, wondering how things are going to turn out. I mentioned earlier that God has a plan for his followers, as well as those that don't know him. If you don't know him today, he bids come. In Revelation, the end of Revelation in God's word, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. God's desire, His plan for you, if you are not His child, is to come, is to place your trust in Him today. Child of God, His desire for you is to know Him more. His desire for you and I is to know Him deeper. To have this, have this relationship grow. So what happens is as we trust him with something small at first, he handles it. And then we are overwhelmed. You know what? He handled that pretty good and our love for him grows. And so we trust him with more things and he nails it again. And so our trust turns to love and then we, we just are overwhelmed. He, he took care of that. Uh, you know, who I was going to marry? He, he got that one down. Oh, where am I going to go? Uh, where am I going to work? Where, my job? I'll give him that. He nailed that. 
this is incredible. And your love for God grows. So the more you love, the more you trust. And the more you trust, the more you love. And it's a beautiful, vicious cycle. That it feeds one another. And that's what I'm saying. It's the byproduct. And this love, this desire, can't come from us trying to do good. Trying to make it happen. I have said so many times, you know what? Um, someone that is wrestling in the, in the deep throes of, of the world, if they're not a follower of Christ, their cycle goes like this. It's like mountaintop, world is good, making money. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. Make it stop. Oh, you know what? I've, I, I, I made things better. I stood up myself. And then, and I've shared with that same person, Listen, even as a child of God, guess what the cycle looks like? Mountaintop experience. This is great. Oh, man, life is rough. But the thing is, is that the difference is that down here in the valley, we don't stand up. As a child of God, he says, I've got this. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Almighty God standing there saying, you don't got this. Check these bad boys out. I'm sorry. Are you ready? You know, and, and that's. We, we can't lose when we, when we have that time where the world has let us down again and has kept us from abiding in Him. We are down there and God says, you're not going to be able to get out of this one yourself. Do you trust me? Oh yes, I trust you. You've, you've never let me down. He does it once again. And that's what our, but how much more than if you're not a child of God to be down here and then the only thing you have and you have no hope. You're like, well, I guess I've got to get myself out of this. And then you, you try to stand up. And it's painful. You can't do it. God wants you to trust Him. What are you going to think of first thing tomorrow morning? Maybe you already have a beautiful habit. Maybe you like, God, before my feet hit the floor, I'm going to recognize that it's not about me, it's about you. Help me to recognize ways that I can please you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the power of your word. God, please, would you give us give us opportunities and give us windows into who you are through the through your word, Father, as we as we seek to please you and to to do those things that we know make you happy. Bring a smile to your face, the God who has everything, doesn't need anything from us. He exists. God, you exist apart from our belief um, or non-belief in you. You are, you are there. You are. God, forgive us for those times when we think that we've got it on our own. God, I just ask that, again, you would just give us those moments where we recognize that it's it's not about us, God, and help us to recognize the opportunities uh, to please you. God, thank you for your word. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.